0: It's 6 p.m., and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, October 4th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California report takes us to Orange County, where an environmental disaster is unfolding. 126,000 gallons of oil spills into the Pacific from a pipeline rupture off the coast of Huntington Beach. Then we turn our attention to national native news. With a look at the effort to save a vanishing language, the Rosebud Sioux Tribe rushes to preserve the Lakota language. We'll take a look at regional headlines and weather before science correspondent Al Stoller explains how knowledge of other planets can give us insight into our own.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. And we start with an environmental disaster unfolding in Orange County here in Southern California. A 126,000 gallon oil spill from a pipeline rupture off the coast of Huntington Beach has fouled Orange County waters and forced the closure of beaches. Dead birds and fish have washed up on shore, and the spill threatens sensitive wetlands habitat like at Orange County's Bayona Ecological Reserve. Here's Huntington Beach Mayor Kim Carr speaking at a news conference yesterday.
2: Our wetlands are being degraded and portions of our coastline are now covered in oil. In the coming days and weeks, we challenge the responsible parties to do everything possible to rectify this environmental catastrophe.
1: The ruptured pipe, which connects to an offshore oil platform, is owned by a subsidiary of Houston, Texas-based Amplify Energy Corporation. The Coast Guard is working with state and local authorities to respond to the disaster, using skimming equipment and booms to collect the oil. And the damaged pipeline has reportedly been patched, but it's feared local beaches could be closed for weeks or even months from petroleum to the pandemic. California students will be required to get vaccinated in order to attend classes once they're eligible for the shot. In his announcement on Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom said there needs to be a clear and consistent standard for all school districts in the state. We want to end this pandemic. We are all exhausted by it and the purpose of this is to continue to lead in that space. I believe we will be the first state in America to move forward uh, with this mandate and requirement, but I do not believe by any stretched imagination will be the last state. State Senator Richard Pan from Sacramento, who's also a pediatrician, says the student vaccination mandate is another tool to use in the fight against COVID.
3: We've taken many steps to try to keep kids safe in school. Uh, this is another important step. I would also point out that uh, some school districts are taking further steps as well. So, I view the governor's order sort of the minimum we need to maintain safety with vaccinations, but this is still an important announcement and a declaration of intent that uh, will hopefully help school districts and parents understand that we're gonna do what it takes to keep their children safe and keep them in school so they can learn.
1: The governor's office says that based on current estimates around when FDA approval will happen, the new regulations are expected to apply to grades 7 to 12 beginning in July of 2022. Students in kindergarten through sixth grade will be phased in after the vaccine is approved for them. In surveys, half of Californians say they have to wait too long to see a mental health provider when they need one. A new bill currently on the governor's desk would require health insurers to reduce those wait times to no more than 10 business days. KQED's health correspondent April Demboski explains.
4: When Greta Christina fell into a deep depression five years ago, she called up her therapist, someone she'd had a great connection with when she needed therapy in the past. And she found out he was now on staff at Kaiser Permanente.
5: And so I was like, great, I have Kaiser. I'm just going to see my therapist through Kaiser. That's perfect.
4: She was happy she wouldn't have to pay out of pocket anymore. At first, her therapist was able to see her every couple weeks. Not ideal, but it was enough.
5: And then it just started being every three weeks, every four weeks, Now I'm lucky if I see him every five or six weeks. She
4: says it's been like this for a couple years now.
5: To tell somebody with serious, chronic, disabling depression that they can only see their therapist every five or six weeks is like telling somebody with a broken leg that they can only see their physical therapist every five or six weeks. It's not enough. It's not even close to enough.
4: The depression is catching up with her. Christina says she's starting to have memory loss. She can't stay focused. She can barely get out of bed in the morning. Then over the summer, she was diagnosed with breast cancer.
5: And I need to be in therapy. I have cancer. And still nothing has changed.
4: Everything related to her cancer care has happened promptly, her mammogram,
5: Mammogram, then biopsy. biopsy. She got scheduled for surgery, which is in October, then started her prep appointments. Breast surgeon, plastic surgeon, oncologist. All like clockwork. It is a well-oiled machine. But she still has to wait six weeks to see her therapist. It is a hot mess.
4: It just feels so unethical, honestly. It feels so unethical. Brandi Plumley is a triage therapist at Kaiser's Mental Health Clinic in Vallejo. Every day, she takes multiple crisis calls from patients who have a therapist but can't get in to see them. She says a typical wait right now is two months. Their caseloads are enormous at this point. It's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. And it eats on me day after day after day. That's why she got involved in legislation that would require health insurers across the state to make sure mental health appointments are available every two weeks. What Kaiser simply needs to do is hire more clinicians. But Kaiser says there just aren't enough out there. Health insurance companies initially opposed the bill, saying a shortage of therapists would make it too difficult to meet the two-week mandate. Lobbyist Jed Hampton testified in the Senate last spring.
3: The COVID-19 pandemic has only exacerbated this workforce shortage as the demand for these services has significantly increased. Simply put, mandating increased frequency of appointments without addressing the underlying workforce shortage will not lead to increased quality of
1: care.
4: But lawmakers countered and said the shortage was overstated, and insurers would have to pay better rates to attract more therapists. As support for the bill grew, insurers withdrew their opposition. The bill passed in a near unanimous vote and is now on the governor's desk.
5: I am desperate for this bill to get signed.
4: Greta Christina says she's thought about looking for a new therapist outside Kaiser, but she says it's too hard to think of starting over with someone new while she's in the middle of a crisis. The governor has until mid-October to sign or veto the bill. If he signs, the new mandates will take effect in July of next year. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski.
5: Support for The California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation. Committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human
6: achievement.
1: And that is the California Report for this Monday, October 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening.
0: Up next in National Native News, a bipartisan effort from Senators urging the U.S. Treasury Department to create an Office of Tribal Affairs. Then, the Lakota language is at a tipping point of being lost. It's estimated only 2,000 speakers remain. The Rosebud Sioux Tribe hopes to raise this number with the initiation of a new Lakota language program. And sadly, renowned Navajo weaver and voting rights activist Agnes Lafter has died. Laughter successfully challenged the constitutionality of Arizona's in-person voting procedures and restrictive identity requirements for Native Americans.
2: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A group of bipartisan U.S. senators is urging the Treasury Department to establish an Office of Tribal Affairs. Senators Alex Padilla, Elizabeth Warren, Ron Wyden, Jeff Merkley, and Steve Daines sent a letter to the agency last week. They say the office would help improve the department's consultation process, strengthen its relationship with tribes, and provide more expertise on tribal affairs. According to the senators, the pandemic has shown the urgency for Treasury to have in-house capacity to address tribal issues, including with the distribution of billions of dollars in COVID-19 relief funds. They say the request follows recent consultations between Treasury and Tribes. The Lakota language is at a tipping point of being lost. According to tribal language experts, the Rosebud Sioux Tribe has a new program involving Lakota language preservation. Richard Tubles has more.
7: Wazipan Little Elk is a member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe and chief executive officer of Rosebud Economic Development Corporation, Redco. Redco is an ecosystem of organizations that promote socioeconomic development. They established a Lakota language revitalization program, Lakoya Waonia, which loosely translates to breathing in the breath of life as I speak Lakota. The program is in its early stages, but the goal is to hire seven full-time employees who are willing to learn Lakota fluently. When we look at the the language statistics, you know, it gets really, really scary. Globally, you know, we're we're probably looking at around 2,000 Lakota speakers. You know, amongst our, our Lakota people, all Lakota people, all tribe here in Rose, but you know, we, we probably have around 456 conversationally fluent speakers, you know, who are over age 60, and you know, probably around three speakers under the age of 30, you know, and really zero conversationally fluent speakers under the age of, of 18. Lakoya Coya Wawania is part of Red Redco's 7th Generation Plan, which is a 175-year plan of prosperity for their people and the region based on socioeconomic needs. Under this plan, the hope is that the Lakota language can be spoken as a matter of everyday course. I hope that, that this is just like a part of a much larger, you know, language revitalization movement. In Rapid City, I'm Richard Tubles.
2: Renowned Navajo weaver and voting rights advocate Agnes Lafter has died. Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports she challenged the constitutionality of Arizona's in-person voting procedures and restrictive ID requirements.
3: Laughter was part of a lawsuit that resulted in the U.S. Justice Department expanding the list of documents that can serve as tribal identification at polling places. It was in response to Proposition 200, Arizona's 2004 voter-approved measure mainly aimed at preventing undocumented migrants from voting and receiving public benefits. But since Laughter lacked official identification, she was denied the right to vote. According to the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission, 60 percent of Navajo voters have trouble voting, since Since many elders lack official identification, they frequently cast provisional ballots, which are often left uncounted. Laughter was eventually given the Frank Harrison and Harry Austin Citizenship Award in recognition of her work to strengthen voting rights. She was born in 1932 and grew up in a hogan in the 1930s and 40s in the town of Chilchinbito. She became an acclaimed weaver and eventually helped create one of the community's largest and most famous rugs. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff.
2: And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
7: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by
1: the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska support by AARP. The Native Urban Elder Needs Assessment Survey will provide data to improve urban Indian elder health equity. Elders are underrepresented in data, and you can help. Info and survey at UIACoalition.org. Native Voice 1, the
7: Native American Radio Network.
0: In regional news, Nevada County Public Health reports 84 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent Brett McFadden issued a public advisory to parents and guardians of students today. He writes that schools have seen significant student participation in TikTok challenges that are dangerous and destructive. These include trends of vandalizing school and personal property, from stealing bathroom soap dispensers and fire extinguishers to teacher and staff's personal items. The challenges have become progressively more aggressive, with October's challenge named Slap a Teacher. McFadden writes, quote, We want to continue to make families aware and be crystal clear that students who participate in the unwanted touching of a staff member will be appropriately disciplined, including consideration for expulsion from school as well as potentially face criminal charges, end quote. Come October 24th, if you wish to avoid the all-too-familiar, your call cannot be completed as dialed, please hang up and redial. You'll need to begin dialing all 10 digits when placing local calls within the 530 area code. Phone companies are running out of new 7-digit numbers to assign, necessitating the use of area codes even when dialing locally, explains the Federal Communications Commission. The South Yuba River Citizens League launched a visitor impact survey to hear from the public directly about their concerns. The goal of the survey is to gather more information about how increased visitation impacts people living in the area and what types of initiatives they are interested in supporting. YubaNet reports the survey will remain open through October twenty-third. The results will first be presented to the South Yuba River Safety Cohort, a collaboration comprised of county supervisors and staff state and federal agencies, local NGOs, and community representatives, and co-chaired by Supervisors Heidi Hall and Sue Hoke. Findings and recommendations will then be compiled into a booklet and released to the public. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 57. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 76. 76. Current air quality is moderate, with an AQI of 85. Tomorrow's air quality is good, with a potential AQI of 23. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight widespread haze after midnight, partly cloudy, with a low around 39. Tomorrow, the widespread haze continues, mostly sunny, with a high near 67. And watch out for that afternoon breeze, winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Current air quality is moderate, with an AQI of 62. Tomorrow's air quality is good, with a potential AQI of 47. The National Weather Service issues a special weather statement for the Truckee Tahoe area as cooler and potentially wetter weather is on the way. We'll see fall really start emerging as a weather pattern change begins the middle of this week with much cooler temperatures and periods of rain. High elevation may see snow showers. Be aware that beginning Thursday, high temperatures may drop by 10 to 15 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 57, tomorrow mostly sunny with a high near 81. Current air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups with an AQI of 106, tomorrow good with a potential AQI of 16. Smoke from the KNP complex and windy fires are impacting air quality in the Sacramento region. The area should expect elevated air quality index levels as hazy conditions persist. Southwesterly winds may start moving smoke out of the region Tuesday, but some may get stuck in the foothills Wednesday, reports the Sacramento Bee. There's a lot happening in the sky this week. Up next, science correspondent Al Stoller lays it out.
6: One of the many reasons to study planets, planets like Venus and Mars, is that they can teach us something about our own planet Earth. No matter what the adverts for diamonds promise, rocks do not last forever. Blast them with wind and rain and ice. Put them through the guts of earthworms and bacteria, and rocks fall apart. They turn to sand, to dust. They dissolve. They rust. Which makes it hard to tell what was going on billions of years ago. Were volcanoes erupting, earthquakes rumbling? All the rocky evidence has turned to mud, to clay, disappeared, washed away. The oldest rocks in our collection come not from Earth, but from the moon. The atmosphere is another puzzle. The air we breathe is not the same as the air long ago. And here the moon is no help. The moon has no air. Here Venus and Mars hold clues. At first sight, the atmospheres of Venus and Mars seem very different. Martian air is super thin, but the air on Venus is so thick, it presses down on the ground with a pressure of over a half ton per square inch. One atmosphere is thick, the other thin, but the atmospheres of Venus and Mars do have one thing in common. The air on both planets is almost entirely 95% carbon dioxide, which suggests that carbon dioxide is what we should expect a rocky planet to have in its atmosphere. That when Earth was young, the air on Earth also was almost entirely carbon dioxide. The Venusian atmosphere is almost all carbon dioxide, which I'm sure you're aware is a greenhouse gas one of the greenhouse gases that keep Earth warm. With a half ton plus of carbon dioxide pressing down on every square inch of Venus, the greenhouse effect on Venus has gone berserk. The average temperature on the surface of Venus is over 800 degrees Fahrenheit. With its thin, thin air, Mars can sport only the thinnest of clouds, thin, wispy mares' tails. The thick air of Venus, on the other hand, can support tremendously thick clouds. Turn a telescope toward Venus, and all you see is cloud, north pole to south. Clouds on Earth are fun, and they're also complicated. On a hot summer's day, a cloud drifting over the sun throws down shade, cools us off. But if you want to cool off at night, you should wish for clear sky. Clouds hold heat. Clouds at night warm us up. Clouds have a reputation for being the most uncertain part of the calculation of what Earth's climate is doing now, what the climate might do in the future. The moon's bright crescent is lit up by sunshine, but the dark part of the moon is not pitch black. The dark part of the moon is lit, quite often, by a dim, ghostly light. That dim light is not coming directly from the sun. It happens when sunlight first hits the Earth hits the clouds over the earth, then reflects off those clouds up to the moon. The dim ashen light comes not from sunshine, but from Earthshine. In Southern California on Big Bear Lake, an observatory has been watching, measuring Earthshine on the moon for 20 plus years. What they've just recently published is that Earthshine reflecting off clouds off the west coast Earthshine seems to have dimmed a bit, implying that the ocean off the west coast is not quite as cloudy as it used to be. Some reasons to look up. Tonight at 7.56pm, the International Space Station will rise in the west, climb into the sky and pass nearly overhead a couple minutes later. Six men, one woman, now living aboard. That's tonight, 7.56 p.m. Sandhill cranes spend their summers to the north of us, but come fall they fly south to spend the winter with us in Northern California in the Central Valley. A swoop of cranes flies in a V formation, which looks a lot like the V of a flock of geese. But sandhill cranes do not honk. Sandhill cranes burble. If you hear burbling overhead, look up for that V-formation of sandhill cranes. Next Saturday night, find a spot to watch the sunset, and as soon as the sun is down, you'll see Venus and the Crescent Moon together above the western horizon. Next Saturday night, right after sunset. For KVMR News, I'm Al Stoller.
0: newscast for this Monday, October 4th. KVMR gets support from Hanson Brothers Enterprises, since 1953, offering bulk and bagged soils, amendments, and fertilizers for gardening needs. Also, excavation, paving, underground utilities, and site work, services for public, private, and commercial enterprises. Go hbe.com. And Dr. Allison McCormick and Auburn Dermatology Center. Offering an expanded practice and a remodeled facility, with openings available to new and existing patients. Located on Professional Drive off Bell Road in Auburn. More information at AuburnDermatologyCenter.com Stick around at 6.30, it's disability wrap. On today's show, Carl Sigmund and Carly Pacheco talk with California State Senator Maria Elena Durazo about her bill, SB-639, to phase out the sub-minimum wage for people with developmental disabilities in California. SB-639 was just signed by Governor Newsom last Monday. We also hear response to the bill's passage from Jessica Grove at the California Department of Rehabilitation. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.